Hello, you're listening to Deep North News, the weekly news podcast of Iceland Review, Iceland's longest-running English-language magazine. I'm Andy Sophia Fontaine, and these are the week's top stories in Iceland. First up on Deep North News, the ongoing relationship between Iceland and Palestine once again sees ordinary citizens doing more than the government has been willing to do so far. As reported last week, three Icelandic women helped five Palestinians in Gaza with Icelandic residence permits get to Iceland safely. They did so by flying to Egypt themselves and making their way towards the Gaza border town of Rafah, and were able to retrieve these folks in just a matter of days. This feat can be contrasted with the Icelandic government's position, which is that they are not obliged to help Icelandic resident permit holders escape Gaza, and that the process for doing so is complicated. The Icelandic foreign ministry has since sent three representatives to Cairo to speak with Egyptian officials about the over 100 Icelandic residence permit holders still in Gaza. In the meantime, five other Icelandic citizens near the Egyptian border with Palestine have been able to get 12 more people out of Gaza. The matter is especially urgent as Israel steps up its shelling of Rafah, and Icelandic officials have been criticized for dragging their feet on the matter. But activist groups are now hopeful that Icelandic authorities being in Egypt will lead to the retrieval of the remaining Icelandic resident permit holders in Gaza. These people, almost all of them women and children, were granted residence permits on the basis of Iceland's law of family reunification, whereby those with legal residence in Iceland are amongst those who may invite relations to also receive residence permits in Iceland. Other Nordic countries have been active in retrieving those in Gaza who have residence permits in their respective Nordic countries, sometimes by the hundreds. In other news, it has been widely reported about a month or so ago that Iceland crossed the 400,000 population mark. Well, that figure has since been corrected in a major way. It turns out Statistics Iceland was off by about 14,000 people, having counted people who do not even live in Iceland anymore. How does that happen? It essentially comes down to incentives. Statistics Iceland has been basing their population numbers on the number of people registered at the National Registry. There is great incentive for people who move to Iceland to register at the National Registry in order to receive a national identity number, register a legal address, and other crucial matters. However, People who move from Iceland have little incentive to announce their departure, and so do not necessarily deregister themselves. There are in fact numerous reasons for this. Some of these people may be retirees, who have moved abroad but believe they are still entitled to collect money from an Icelandic pension fund. Some may be remote workers who have opted to move to a country with a lower cost of living. Still others may have simply forgotten to deregister. Whatever the case, Statistics Iceland now bases population figures on a much broader pool of data, and, on the plus side, 14,000 fewer people means that our economy is actually doing better than was previously estimated. After recalculations, Iceland's GDP has now reached pre-pandemic levels. Meanwhile, Grindavík now stands at a crossroads between residential safety and business interests. The town, located on the southern coast of the Reykjanes Peninsula, has been more or less evacuated since last November, having been repeatedly hit by earthquakes, eruptions, and lava flow that has done damage to vital infrastructure such as roads, water supply, and electricity. This series of disasters has displaced some 3,600 people. 
Minister of Finance Tortis Cobram Gilvedotir is hopeful that a bill offering to buy the homes of those displaced will sail through Parliament. However, not everyone is opting to leave, and some 144 businesses in the town are calling upon the Icelandic government to let them have access to Grindavik so that they can continue operations. They argue that the end of business in the town would be the death of the town itself. At the same time, most scientists agree that the Reykjanes Peninsula as a whole is going through a renewed era of volcanic and seismic activity. Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir noted this in an address to Parliament, saying that the country now faces its greatest challenge since the Republic's founding. In fact, ground swelling is once again being reported in the Svartengi area near Grindavik and bears all the hallmarks of previous eruptions. If things continue as they have done over the past few months, a new eruption could be on its way as soon as late February or early March. A tragic mystery in East Iceland has police so flummoxed that they have chosen to cease active investigations until and unless new evidence is presented. The sudden deaths of 10 dogs. Last July, a dog trainer left his farm in Breidal, East Iceland. At the time, 10 dogs were outside on his property. When he returned some five hours later, all of the dogs were dead. The biggest mystery in all this has been, what exactly killed these dogs? The dogs had access to shade and water and had no visible injuries. Local veterinarians had conflicting and inconclusive theories. Then the East Iceland police got involved. Samples from the dogs were studied by the Food and Veterinary Authority as well as the University of Iceland, who could find no evidence of poisoning, electrocution, or any other trauma. Without any other leads to go on, police have chosen to close the case for the time being. All involved parties hold out hope that some new information may come to light to finally close the chapter on this tragedy. In lighter news, the University of the Arts will be dropping tuition fees. This is to go into effect this autumn semester. This decision was made in response to an announcement from the Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation, Auslig Atna Sigurbjörnsdottir, that all private universities will receive state funding if they opt to drop tuition. This decision itself was based on the idea that all students should have equal access to all universities, regardless of what line of study they wish to pursue. As such, those admitted to the University of the Arts will only have to pay a nominal registration fee, just like at a public university, such as the University of Iceland. Measles and mumps have made their way back into Iceland. Both of these diseases are pretty rare in the country, and a vaccination program against mumps has been in place since 1989. Since then, a few cases of the mumps have arisen, namely in those born in the late 80s, prior to 1989, while those born further back than that are generally considered immune due to outbreaks that occurred back then. Measles have been on the rise in Europe as well, and the first case in five years recently appeared in Iceland. For this reason, people who have been exposed to the mumps but are not vaccinated against it are being advised to avoid contact with others, especially as the gestation period for mumps is about three weeks. Lastly on Deep North News, Iceland has distinguished itself once again when it comes to debit and credit card transaction fees and surcharges. A new report from the Central Bank of Iceland showed that when used within the country, an Icelandic debit card transaction fee is typically 20 ISK, but averaged nearly six times this when used abroad. Use an Icelandic credit card in Iceland, and that could cost you about 50 ISK per transaction, but over three times that if you use it abroad. 
In addition, some banks add additional surcharges to transactions made abroad. Breki Kalsson, the chairman of the Consumers Association of Iceland, told reporters that this is not normal when compared to other countries, and these fees have been on the rise. He cites a lack of competition between banks as a contributing cause. It should be noted, however, that surcharges do not apply to debit cards used by Indo, a new Icelandic bank. Next on Deep North News, the weather this weekend. Friday is going to be sunny across most of Iceland, with the exception of the southwest, with light winds and temperatures just below freezing. Cloud cover is expected to move from the southwest to the northeast throughout the day. This will result in a cloudy day on Saturday, with warmer temperatures but stronger winds in the southern half of the country and scattered showers along the southwestern coast. Come Sunday, these rains should clear up and the winds will calm down, but much of the country will remain cloudy, apart from the northeast where the sun will peak out again. As for road conditions, bear in mind that the highlands are closed for the season, so don't try driving up there unless you're in a glacier tour group with the right vehicles for the job. Also, roads will be slippery in the northern part of the country, but roads should be mostly clear with occasional spots of ice along the south coast. For all your weather and road condition needs, you should visit weather.is and road.is respectively, but also add safetravel.is to that list. Through Safe Travel, you can get up-to-the-minute updates on conditions all over the country, whether we're talking about weather, natural disasters, or other variables. Save yourself time, money, and trouble by checking weather.is, road.is, and safetravel.is before heading out anywhere in Iceland. And that's all for me today here at Deep North News. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. And while you're at it, check out icelandreview.com for more of the latest from Iceland in travel, news, culture, and more. Speak to you again next Friday, folks. Be good to each other. <laughs>